All right, we're, uh, we're continuing our, our series that we began a few weeks ago, Who's Your Daddy? And we're talking about sins that can master us. Remember, with the very first week, we, we looked at a, a passage of Scripture from Peter where it says, a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. And you know as well as I do that at different points in your life, you struggle with certain sins. I struggle with certain sins that it seems like it has control of us. And what I wanted us to do for this month is I wanted us to focus specifically on sins that are normal, that are everyday sins. You know, if I could do a message on heroin, right, and you would just say, oh, that would be great if the guys from Motley Crue were here this morning, okay? But most of you don't struggle with that. Now, maybe you have or maybe you are now, and, and you need to get help with that as well. But I wanted to focus on normal sins that everyday people who are employed, who, who haven't lost their house, stuff like that that gets us. Because sometimes what we can do is we can look at the guys in Motley Crue and say, hey, at least I'm not as bad as them, Right? And that's, the, the scripture talked about that. Jesus really jumped on the Pharisees. There was this group of religious people called the Pharisees, and they were famous for that. They were famous for even praying prayers and saying, God, thank you that I'm not a low-down sinner like these other people. And Jesus jumped all over those folks. So what I don't want us to become is the religious people that show up here to church every week and, and, and you know, think, well, hey, Cliff's talking about sinners. He's talking about somebody else. So we're talking about normal, everyday stuff that can, that can get a hold of us. And I hope as we've been doing this, it's been a great opportunity for you to evaluate your life and to start to, to ask questions and say, what is it maybe that's controlling me right now? What sin has become my daddy? What is it that I am a slave to that has mastered me? And so today I want to talk about one that's, that's really common. It's, uh, I want to talk about anger today. Now, I don't know if you've noticed or not but we live in an angry society, and maybe you haven't noticed it, but it, whether it's athletics, politics, or the line at Walmart, it seems like somebody is always mad, and politics is really where you see it right now. I'm not that old, <clears throat> at least I want to convince myself I'm not that old. I'm 41 years old, and at 41, I can remember a time in this country where people who voted differently than each other, they didn't yell at each other about it. I can remember a time where if you voted for the Republican candidate, that didn't mean you had to hate the Democratic candidate. And if you voted for the Democratic candidate, you didn't have to hate the Republican candidate. That's no longer the case anymore. And the folks at Fox News and MSNBC are, are just fueling this whole thing where every night we tune in and see who's yelling about what and, and what we're supposed to be mad at. And there's a lot of anger in our country, a lot of anger in society today. And, and I think it's, it's, it's one of those things that's easy because being angry comes natural. I'll give you an example of how angry I think our society is. Uh, a few weeks ago in Major League Baseball, uh, a guy by the name of Armando Galarraga, he threw what should have been a perfect game. He's a pitcher, and if you don't understand baseball, let me explain it real quick, but you get 27 outs before the game is over. A perfect game is where you get 27 straight outs and nobody gets on base. You don't walk anybody. You don't give up a hit. There's not a wild pitch that they get on base. And so, in fact, it's, it's the rarest thing that happens in baseball. It's so rare that in the history of Major League Baseball, which is over 100 years old, it's happened less than 25 times. And here's this kid, Armando Galarraga, for the Detroit Tigers. And he is, is pitching a perfect game. 
the last batter comes up. So he's had 26 batters up, 26 batters down, nobody on base. And he throws a, a pitch. This guy hits it to the infield. The infielder throws it. It's obvious that the throw beat him to first base, but the referee calls him safe. Perfect game is lost. Now here's where I think we can see how angry our society was. Armando Galarraga responded without any anger at all. In fact, he grinned after it was over. He took the ball, he went back to the mound, and then after the game was over, Jim Joyce, who was the referee, who was the umpire, they, they talked to him about it after the game, and when he saw the replay, he admitted he was wrong, he felt terrible at it, he didn't yell and say, how dare you question me? And here's how I know our society is angry. That was the top story the next day, not only in the sports news, but on the regular news, and people were shocked that no one was cussing each other out. They were shocked. It was like, I cannot believe this guy, he was cheated from a perfect game. I cannot believe he didn't go crazy and get up in his face and yell at somebody because that's what we've come to expect. We've come to expect that from our athletes. We've come to expect that from our politicians. We've come to expect that even on our workplaces. And we live in an angry society. And chances are you've gotten caught up in that. And it's very easy because getting angry is a natural thing. And it's, so, it's very easy for us to justify that anger. Look at what Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read you a few verses from Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 26. If you've got your Bibles, that's in the New Testament. And I look at, there's First and Second Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians. You'll just find that. If you don't have it, look up on the screen. But Ephesians 4, 26 says this. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Then starting with verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Let me stop here real quick. This doesn't have anything to do with the rest of the message, but I, just let me say this. I think it's interesting that that verse is in there. My whole life, and maybe your whole life, that's the, not, that's the do not cuss verse, Right? Oh, you're cussing? The Bible says do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. I'm not saying it's okay to cuss, all right? So don't go home and, you know, drop some, you know, big bomb on your family. But what I'm saying is that this verse, I think, is specifically talking about angry words because it's in the middle of a, a whole passage about anger. And you shouldn't cuss at anybody angry, but you shouldn't have other angry words either. But we say, oh, do not unwholesome talk is cussing. Yeah, but it's also more than that. It's speaking in an angry way to other people as well. So that's what unwholesome talk is there. All right, go back to verse 30. Back on track now. Verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. The first thing I think we, can, we need to be aware of about anger and what we see in this passage of Scripture is that the devil will use our unchecked anger. The devil will use our unchecked anger. See, the whole time I've been talking about anger this morning, I have an idea that there's a couple of you out there that when I started talking about anger being a sin, you were thinking, whoa, whoa wait, wait, wait a minute, Cliff. Anger's not a sin, and you're right, kind of. You're somewhat right. You see, it says there in, in Ephesians 4.26, it says, in your anger, do not sin. So it makes it sound as if, okay, you can be angry without sinning, and that's true. 
in your anger, do not sin. But look at what the rest of those verses say. As, as you read the rest of it, it's very obvious that even though being angry is not a sin, what Paul wants us to know, he's the one who wrote this book of Ephesians, what Paul wants us to know is even though anger is not a sin, anger very quickly leads to sin. It very easily leads to sin. And, and if, uh, I love there in verse 27 where it goes from 26 to 27. It says there in 26, Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And then in verse 27, And do not give the devil a foothold. When it says there, Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, it, 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 it's talking about there, Don't leave your anger unchecked. Don't, don't leave it alone and think that it's going to take care of itself. Don't just get angry and, and hold on to it. But you need to check it. You need to think about it. You need to try to figure out what's going on. And, and when he says, do not let the sun go down on your anger, and then in the first part it says, in your anger do not sin, he's quoting another verse of scripture from the book of Psalms. See, Paul was a biblical scholar, so he read what all the old guys that came before him had written. And he had read the Psalms that King David wrote. And look at Psalm 4-4 that King David wrote. See if this sounds familiar. In your anger, do not sin. Direct quote that Paul had just quoted there. And then it says, when you are on your beds... Search your hearts and be silent. When you're on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. I love that it says there, when you're on your beds. Because especially in the, the society we live in today, that's sometimes, that's about the only time that you have this quiet, isn't it? That's the only time you have to think. And if you're like me, a lot of times when I'm laying on my bed and the TV's off and the lights are out and I can't get to sleep, you know what comes back into my mind a lot? people I'm mad at and I start thinking about them and thinking about what they did to me and I start dreaming I'm Chuck Liddell you know and they're in the other side of the cage and I'm gonna hit them with an inside leg kick and then I go get a right hook and put them down you know that's the kind of stuff that goes on in my mind now, I know you're not as sick as I am right I'm sure you're thinking about how you're gonna forgive them and you can't wait to see them again but me I struggle with anger right and so a lot of times that's where it comes back it says when you're on your beds search your hearts and be silent. When it says search your hearts there, that's what we ought to be doing. Instead of me thinking about how I'm going to get revenge on somebody I'm mad at, I need to be searching my heart. Figuring out what's my motivation. Asking myself some questions. Why am I mad about this to begin with? Why am I still mad about this? This happened a long time ago and I'm still mad. What good is this anger doing me? Is it, is it helping me out that I've held on to this as long as I have? And, and, and I, I think it's just one of those things where if we will begin to, as we lay down at night, before we go to sleep, start to search our hearts and help God, ask God to help us understand what really is going on with this anger. You see, you're right, it's not a sin to be angry. You know, it says there in verse 426, in your anger, do not sin. And the way we know that it's not a sin to be angry is Jesus got angry. Maybe you remember the story, but there's a story in that's in the Gospels where Jesus comes into the temple and people have made the temple into a marketplace where they can make money for themselves. And they're buying and selling all kind of stuff and Jesus comes in and he loses it. He, told, he, gets, he gets more angry at this than I've ever been angry in my life. He takes, it says he takes cords and he makes a whip out of it and he starts whipping it around and, and, you know, scaring people to death, kicking over tables, taking people's money and knocking it off, screaming and hollering, getting up in people's faces. He becomes a madman. 
and he's angry. And then there's not only that instance, there's other instances in the scripture where Jesus gets angry. They're not as famous and he's not quite as wild, but he, he would talk to the religious leaders and he would call them things like children of the devil. And he would call them vipers and all this stuff. So this wasn't stuff he was saying in a nice way. When you call someone a, children of the, a child of the devil, you're angry when you're saying that. And so Jesus would get angry, and that's how we know that anger is not a sin. But here's the thing. A lot of times it's easy for us to say, hey, wait a minute. Anger is not a sin. Jesus got angry, and I'm angry, and me and Jesus, we're cool with it. And Cliff, you need to shut up because anger is not a sin, right? That's, it's, it, that we can convince ourselves of that. Here's the huge difference between the anger of Jesus and our anger. And I don't want you to miss this. If you don't remember anything else, I want you to remember this. Jesus' anger was different because when Jesus was angry, when religious people were dishonoring the things of God, Jesus was angry when religious people were dishonoring the things of God. He comes into the temple, this is supposed to be God's house, and he loses it. Not because anybody does, has done anything to him, but because they're dishonoring the things of God. He would get ticked off the, the religious leaders because they're supposed to be leading people to be closer to God, and instead they were confusing the people, and they were hindering them from becoming closer to God. And that's why he would get ticked off. Here's the difference between our anger and Jesus' anger. Jesus' anger was always about the things of God, our anger is almost always about the things that have to do with us. Jesus never once got angry when someone personally attacked him. The Pharisees were going around all the time spreading lies about him, blatant, outright lies. They were trying to start a movement to get people to have Jesus killed. He never once was angry about that. You know what else he wasn't angry about? He was never angry about people who weren't religious dishonoring the things of God. He was only angry about the religious people dishonoring the things of God. The people who didn't yet know God, he expected them to dishonor the things of God. But a lot of times what we do, we get ticked off when we see a story on the news about someone who's not saved saying something bad about God. We get mad at that person. If we were like Jesus, we would have compassion on that person and we would get ticked off at the religious people, at the leaders of the church who aren't doing what they're supposed to do who aren't living like they're supposed to live and that's who we should be mad at that's who jesus got angry at but he always had compassion on the people who were personally attacking him they were nailing him to a cross he had spent a day where he had been beaten he had been spit on he had been cursed at he had been mocked and made fun of and then as he's being nailed to a cross as they're driving nails through his hands and through his feet he doesn't say which would i would have said he didn't pray oh god Kill all of these stupid idiots. I am so angry with them. What did he say? He said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing to me right now. You see, when Jesus was personally attacked, his compassion level went up, not his anger level. But when we get attacked, that's what we get angry about. Now, maybe you're a person that you've got a lot of righteous anger built up in you and it's all about religious people dishonoring the things of God. If that's who you are, I'm proud for you. That's awesome. That's not who I am. 99.9% .9 of the time when I'm angry, it's because I've been personally attacked. And I would imagine you're the same way. 99% of the time, it's because you feel like somebody's done something to you or done something to your family. Because parents, it's, it's another one of those things where we can convince ourselves, well, it's righteous anger because I'm ticked off because I'm going to kill that kid because they did this to my kid, right? That's not righteous anger either. And I understand, that's natural anger, I understand it, but it's not righteous anger. 
And so when Jesus was angry, it was for a totally different reasons than for we, what we were angry for. So let's go back to Psalm 4-4 again. When it says there, in your anger do not sin, when you're on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. When you're on your beds, we need to be asking ourselves the question, okay, is this anger because I've been personally attacked? Or is this anger because the things of God have been attacked? We need to search our hearts. We need to try to figure that out. But if you're like me, we don't do a lot of searching of our hearts, do we? When we get angry, we do a lot of uh, dwelling on it, thinking about it, talking to other people about it. Uh, we do a lot of imaginary conversations in our head with the person we're mad at. Well, I'm going to say this, and then they're going to say this, and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to say this. You know, That's what we do. But we don't do a lot of dwelling on what's in our hearts and searching our hearts and figuring out, okay, my motivation is what's all messed up here. It's my motivation that's the problem. Yeah, they shouldn't have done that, but I can't continue to be angry at them about that. Verse 27 Ephesians 4, look back at that again. It says, do not give the devil a foothold. That's why I said the devil will use our unchecked anger against us. Uh, if, if you're angry, it's giving the devil a foothold in your life. Now, when I read that verse, do not give the devil a foothold, I thought about tug of war. And I got a picture of a great tug of war contest right here I want you to look at. Now, can you see that? These are boys that all go to our church here at Freedom. And this was them on field day at Mountain View Elementary, right? And uh, this boy right here, he really, really wants to win. <laughs> he wants to win everything. I, I like that boy. But uh, look, at, look at this boy here. Look at his feet. You see that? And you see those feet? They've, they, they're, they're hunkered down. They got their feet. They've, they got it in a place where they're going to win tug of war. And if you want to win tug of war, yeah, you've got to have some upper body strength. You've got to be able to pull. But if you've, all you've got is upper body strength and your feet are not in the right position and you don't have them where you've got a foothold where you can get, you're still going to lose that tug of war. And these boys understand that instinctively. They understand they've got to get their feet in the right position. And you can see that they've got their feet in, in a good place. They have a foothold and they're going to win that tug of war competition, right? Well, let me tell you something. The Scripture tells us that we are in a tug of war every day with our own sin nature. And we've talked about this a lot the last few months here at Freedom, that we are by nature sinful people. When you come into this world, we're broken, we're messed up from the moment we come in, and we're sinful people as we come in. And, and, we're, and, and we're in a daily tug of war between doing what's right or doing what our sin nature wants us to do. Romans chapter 7, we're not going to go there today, but just write that down as something you want to read later. All of Romans chapter 7 is the Apostle Paul who wrote the book of Ephesians talking about this tug of war that goes on between us and our sin nature. And the Apostle Paul, who is, who is a better Christian than I'll ever hope to be, even he said, the things that I don't want to do, I do, and the things I do want to do, I don't do. He talked about it's a struggle every day. And so if we're in a tug of war, with our sin nature, why in the world would we want to help the devil defeat us in this tug of war? Why would we want to say, hey, you know what? Having a foothold is what wins tug of war. Here, devil, why don't you have a foothold so you can destroy my life? We, we shouldn't want to do that, should we? But the scripture says that when we hold on to anger, when we have unchecked anger in our hearts, that we are giving the devil an advantage and he will use it 
to destroy us. The devil hates you. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your job. He wants to destroy your relationships with your children, the re your relationships with your friends, your relationships with your brothers and sisters. He wants to do everything he can to bring you down. And if we hold on to anger, if we hold on to unchecked anger, we refuse to forgive, we refuse to let it go, then what the scripture tells us is, is that we are giving the devil the advantage in that tug of war. We are giving him a foothold. You see, your anger, you know this because you've already dealt with it. Your anger will lead to broken relationships. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if, if I did, I bet that there would be hands go up all over this room that say, yeah, I've been angry at someone and now I no longer have a relationship with them and we've never dealt with it. Your anger will, deal, in, deal with, will end with broken relationships. It will, it will result in you losing your joy and you just having a generally dissatisfaction with life where everything now makes you unhappy and nothing can, can bring you back up. Nothing can bring a smile to your face anymore. It can ruin your relationship with your church. It can ruin your relationship with your friends. It can make you speak words to someone that you thought you would never say. Unchecked anger, when it's running amok in your life, it can destroy you and all of your relationships. And the second thing that I think we can learn is this. Anger does not lead us to the things that please God. Anger does not lead us to the things that please God. Now that should be obvious. We just talked about giving the devil a foothold, but look at verse of Ephesians 4.31. Look at this. It says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every other form of malice. If we still want to hold on to this idea, wait a minute, Anger's okay. Jesus got angry. I can hold on to it. Well, then Paul just spells it out and says, get rid of it. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. He doesn't say there's some anger it's okay to hold on to. He says, get rid of all of it. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. And then there's a, a great verse that I came across in James 1.19 that I think is so practical for why we should get anger out of our life. It says this, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Before we go on, I'm going to just take a second here. Not only is it not good to hang on to anger, it's also not good to be a person that gets angry easily. It says we should be slow to become angry. If you're a person that flies off the handle every, you know, if something hits you the wrong way and you just, you're angry, even if it's on the inside and you're not letting it out, it says that we should be slow to become angry. And then in verse 20, this is the important part here. It says, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. See, this is a serious business. We think that we can just be angry with something, and we think that our anger just keeps us warm at night. It helps us have something to think about as we fall asleep. But what the Apostle Paul, what, what James wants us to know there is he says, if we continue to allow anger to be an ongoing part of our lives, we will never become the men and women God wants us to be. Never. If we continue to let it be a part of our life, we'll never become the, the people we're supposed to be. That's what it says in verse 20 when he says, it does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. And by the way, let me hit this real quick. The reason I said we will never become the men and women God wants us to be is that ladies, I know sometimes it's easy for you to think that it's only the men who have the anger problem because usually when we have the anger problem, it gets really scary because we yell and we hit people and stuff like that. 
But a lot of times I've known a lot of angry women in my life. I've seen you speaking to your kids at Walmart, and I know you're angry, all right? You know, you walk up, it's like, shut up! You know, all that kind of stuff, like, good night. So it's not just a, when I'm talking about anger today, I'm talking about men and women, we all struggle with anger. And if we continue to hold on to it, we will not become the men and women that God desires us to be. As I thought about this, I thought of a great example. I thought about a garden. And, uh, and instead of just telling you about a uh, garden, um, we went and we shot some video uh, of me at my garden. So uh, watch this as, as we talk about anger. You just heard James 1, 19 and 20. Another verse that I want us to look at is Hebrews 12, 15. It says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. When I read that verse, I thought about a garden when it talked about a bitter root growing up. We know that anger can become a bitter root that grows up in our heart. And we're out here at my garden, at my house, and it's a, it's a small garden, a beginner's garden, our first year planting uh, anything in a garden. And, and I've just got four tomato plants out here and uh, things are going pretty well. We're producing fruit and we've gotten some big tomatoes off of some of our plants and a lot of cherry tomatoes off of our plants. And uh, the reason that that's happened, the reason that that's worked is because we've cultivated this garden. We've, we've watered every day and, and I pull weeds. When I see weeds come up, I'm sure to pull them. And before we planted, we, we put compost in the soil and we got all of the old grasses out of the area. Now there's another into my garden down here uh, that, that the, it's not doing as well. It's because we haven't planted anything there and we haven't cultivated it. And as a matter of fact, all that is in it now are weeds. It's just full of grasses and other things that we don't want in there. And it's a, a, a pretty good contrast between an end of the garden that's producing fruit and an end that's not producing any fruit. And the difference is, is that there's been no cultivation on one end. And as a natural result, weeds have grown up and taken over. Our hearts are like gardens, and the same thing happens in our hearts. And when we have unchecked anger in our hearts, weeds will grow up, roots of bitterness grow up into our heart, and then we don't produce fruit. The scripture talks about the fruits of the Spirit that should be produced in our lives, things like love and joy and peace and patience. And if you're not experiencing love and joy in your life, chances are you've got some unchecked anger that there are roots of bitterness that are there that are choking out the fruit in your heart. If you're not experiencing peace or patience or self-control, once again, there's probably some roots of bitterness. Chances are it's unchecked anger, things that you're holding on to, things that you're refusing to forgive. So the real question for all of us is, what are you cultivating in your heart? That's the question that I want us to think about as we finish is if your heart is like a garden, what are you cultivating? What are you cultivating in the garden of your heart? What's growing up? Because what grows there is what you cultivate. If you plant good seeds in there and fertilize it, if you're putting the Word of God into your heart daily, and you're letting go of things that are, that are going to become roots of bitterness, you're letting go of anger and, and hurt and other things, then the garden of your heart is going to produce good fruit. And you're going to have the fruit of the Spirit as a part of your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, those things. But if you are cultivating anger 
and you, you're holding on to that and you refuse to, to, uh, to forgive, then what's going to happen is you're going to have stuff growing up in your heart like bitterness and hatred, and, and it's going to come out in your relationships. It's going to come out day after day as you deal with people. You see, unchecked anger puts all of your relationships in danger. Now, I want to finish by reading the last verse of Ephesians 4 that we just have been talking about. Now, verse 31 talked about get rid of all this other stuff, but there's 32, the last verse. It says once you get rid of that stuff, you've got to replace it with something, and this is how you get rid of it. It says be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. See, when it said in James 1.20 that man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires, the righteous life that God desires is a life of compassion and a life of forgiveness and a life of unconditional love. And that's what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 4, that we should be compassionate to one another. We should be forgiving one another, just like we've already been forgiven. So if you call yourself a follower of Christ, you've been forgiven of sin, and you no longer have any right to withhold forgiveness from someone else. I've been forgiven of so much sin in my life. Jesus willingly died for me, for my nasty sin. Who am I to now say, God's forgiven me, but I refuse to forgive someone else? I don't have that right anymore. Because God has forgiven me, and now I'm supposed to forgive others the way he forgave me. So ask yourself that question today. What are you cultivating in the garden of your heart? Now, I could be real practical here and tell you exactly what to do, and I'm going to give you one practical application. Some of you today, now listen to me. Don't, don't shut me out or shout me down. But some of you today, you need to go have a conversation with someone that you've been holding bitterness in your heart and unchecked anger in your heart for a long time. And you need to go and you need to ask them for your forgiveness. And you need to tell them that you've forgiven them. And you say, wait a minute, Cliff, it's going to take me a little bit longer to forgive them. How long is it going to take? God's forgiveness is immediate. We're supposed to forgive other people immediately. And some of you have been holding on to it. And what you're going to do is you're going to hear this message. You're going to leave here. You're going to go eat lunch. And by this afternoon, it's going to be so far removed from you. You're going to say, well, I'm not going to do that. That was, that was something we talked about this morning. Some of you, you need to make the phone call before you crank up your car. Some of you, you need to let everybody else walk out and you stay right in the seat you're sitting in. And you go ahead and make the phone call and call somebody and say, I've been angry at you for 20 years. I've been angry at you for two weeks, however long it's been. And I want to ask for your forgiveness. And let me tell you this, too, and I know this because I've had, unfortunately, I've had to do this. When you do that, you don't need to expect anything in return. You can't imagine in your mind, okay, I'm going to call them and they're going to say, you're right, I've been so mean and all this stuff. They might just say, okay, thanks a lot and not apologize to you for anything. But you're not responsible for their heart. You're only responsible for your heart. And so I want you to take what we've learned today and I want you to apply it. Not because I want us to be the church with nobody that's angry. That'd be cool. But the reason why is because I want your life to be all God wants it to be. And it cannot be, all, my life cannot be all God wants it to be if I'm holding on to anger towards somebody. It just can't happen. And so there's some things we just have to let go. And let God deal with it. I want to bow your heads in prayer.
And then as we're doing that, the band's going to come up and we're going to finish talking about anger by praying this prayer. And I want you just to deal with your own heart right there where you are. Father God, anger comes so easily to us because we are sinful people. And Lord, we're easily hurt. We get our, our feelings out of whack and we expect to everyone to treat us perfectly even though we don't treat them perfectly. And so, Lord, I pray today for myself, I pray for everybody else, that we would check our own hearts, we would search our hearts, and if there's any roots of bitterness that are growing up in our hearts, Lord, that we would get rid of those, that with your help, we ask that you would give us the ability to forgive when we've been wronged, and that you would give us the ability to treat other people the way you treat us. We're imperfect We've got all kind of issues, Lord, but I pray that anger would be something that would begin to leave our lives because of your love filling our lives. And that's what we ask today is that you would fill our lives, each person in here, fill us with your love. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.